0: Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today on the podcast, we have the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, as our guest. We have a limited time with the governor, and we tried to get it to as many things as possible. We're talking PG&E. We're talking vaccinations. We're talking questions about the gig economy and, and who's a worker and who's not. We talk about weed. And we're talking about his private conversations with President Trump. What's Trump really like when he's talking with the governor? My friend and colleague, The Chronicle's editorial page editor, John Diaz, joins me for today's podcast when we talk to Gavin Newsom next on It's All Political. Governor Gavin Newsom, welcome back to It's All Political. It is good to be
1: back with you. Um, We're also here with John Diaz, the editorial page editor. Governor, good to see you again. Good to be with you. I wanted to ask you about uh, the the President Trump's uh, threat of uh, having mass. Raids, mass arrest of uh, undocumented immigrants starting this Sunday. What's California's reaction going to be? Is there going to be resistance? Is there going to be, in some ways, facilitating these ICE raids?
2: We've already organized resistance in very formal ways. We were a sanctuary state, and that's reinforced uh, municipality by municipality that have variants and versions of the same. So there's no coordination, there's no collaboration. Uh, As it relates to these raids. Uh, But it's also a state that resists in another respect. Uh, We're putting up uh, tens of millions of dollars in legal aid, uh, pro bono services for people, encouraging them to know their rights and know that they don't have to open the door unless there's a warrant, uh, a search warrant, uh, letting folks know that they uh, will have access uh, and support that perhaps no other state in America provides. Uh, We're trying to amplify that, and I'm trying to amplify that through uh, social media. I'm trying to amplify that using the bully pulpit, Uh, and we have that formalized in community after community all up and down the state that are trying to do their best to educate our diverse communities of the same.
0: But if if, uh, raids start happening, what's your reaction going to be?
2: Well, it's been, I mean, in anticipation, we've been pushing back aggressively, Uh, I don't know what he means by raids, So we're going to see how this manifests. Uh, But this is not unique. It's not necessarily novel. And let's be candid. I was talking upstairs. Um, We saw a lot of raids during the Obama administration. Um, The fact is Obama still to this point deported even more folks uh, than President Trump. It's just the acerbic nature of his language and the demeaning nature of Trump's language that uh, just drives so much of this controversy. But the actions— Uh, you know, interestingly were challenging back uh, then uh, as they will be this weekend potentially and, and for weeks to come as this president flails around with low poll numbers and a desperate need to get attention day to day, and this is how he does it, by flaming the anxieties and insecurities of his base uh, by demeaning uh, immigrants. And so we're going to have to continue to be vigilant, continue to push back, and continue to make a case for our state, and continue to stand out as the state of California, with 27 percent of its populations, as unique in this country, sanctuary state, uh, to have the backs of our diverse communities.
1: Bit ironic, is it not, that just a year ago when uh, Mayor Libby Schaff in Oakland suggested that the raid might be imminent, the president and some of his supporters were talking about putting her in jail, prosecuting her for obstruction of Because justice. she had the
2: audacity of giving people heads up. The president of the United States actually decided to give millions of people an even longer heads up. And yet none of the similar... Critique None of the same consternation, no critics or pundits. Uh, his own ICE director, acting ICE director at the time, I think he's coming back, uh, I think was talking about incarcerating uh, the mayor and said this puts the lives of his people at risk. Well, uh, bring it on. Let's see some continuity and consistency from these same folks. Where is the Donald Trump Act, Stephen L- King?
0: Like the uh, Libby Schaff Act. Yes. Uh, let's talk about uh, wildfires of PG&E today. As we're recording this, you released a plan that would uh, allow uh, PG&E to deal with any future wildfire liabilities if the utility clears uh, strict safety requirements and exits bankruptcy protection by next June. Rate pay- payers want to know, the people paying the bills, yeah. how can you guarantee that they won't be paying more than they're already paying to bail out PG&E?
2: We looked at all kinds of options. This is the best option to protect ratepayers, taxpayers, and victims. And I want to remind folks, uh, PG&E is still not settled. With the victims of the 1718 fires. That has to be a predicate for getting out of bankruptcy. But so too are these safety commitments and investments in a way that does not come from the pockets of uh, the ratepayers. And so that is the framework to which we have uh, laid out a strategy. Uh, a framework that encourages PG&E to get its act together on compensation that's tied to safety provisions to invest billions of dollars in safety to make sure they commit to clean energy goals in the state, make sure they fulfill finish their obligations to the victims, and then they can participate in a liquidity fund, a new fund that would be established that would allow them access to capital uh, in an extreme circumstance uh, that would allow some more
0: stability going forward. So, But in terms of ratepayers paying more, where they're going to extend the tax. We're, going we're extend so what they're
2: already paying, and, and that's it. Now, make this crystal clear. PG&E has previous requests for rate increases that they argue are completely independent of the wildfires that are more traditional rate requests related to investments uh, that traditionally are decided by the Public Utilities Commission. In the future, they will need to make investments. Uh, and those will then require similar adjudication by the PUC to determine if they come from equity or they come uh, from ratepayers. But this approach does nothing more as it relates to current uh, bills uh, than the current billing that exists today.
1: Governor, uh, you talked uh, at our editorial board meeting about the, how, with the you're you're swimming in money right now in in the in state, the state yeah. c- compared to, uh, particularly your two predecessors, um, and yet right now we're doing quite well. But California has a very volatile. Uh, Revenue system yeah. because it's so top weighted uh, is is some kind of tax reform in the cards for you? Do, do you yeah, it think needs to be. I mean, look,
2: you know, it's interesting. In the good times, volatility is your not just your friend, it's your best friend, because there's a windfall of sorts. I mean, we have a twenty one and a half billion dollar operating surplus. Uh, which is extraordinary, allowed us to pay off all of our debt, allowed us to pay down or commit to paying down $9 billion. And pension obligations allowed us uh, to set aside in all of these rainy day reserves, including now an education rainy day, which I never thought in my life I would see that we'd make an investment in. So we are stabilizing um, our reserves in a way they've never been. Uh, That said, there's still not enough, because on the other side of that volatility, as you suggest, is a downturn that could be so acute, you can lose tens of billions of dollars just in one fiscal year. And so that does beg your question and this response. Yes, we need to advance tax reform. Yes, it's long overdue. Here's the good news. This has been studied by the last four or five administrations. No more task forces, no more studies. It's all about political will. The challenge now is how you create the conditions to invite people to that table because everyone's got a trophy on the wall and they don't wanna touch it. I just had a big battle on this quote unquote tax conformity, which basically did what 47 other states have already done to conform with the federal tax code. That was a challenge in this legislature. And that that was a layup compared to real tax conversations. So I'm not naive entering the space, but we're going to dive in the space.
1: I'm sure people listening to this are wondering, okay, what's it mean for me? If right now we have a very top-weighted uh, uh, tax code in, in California, if we have tax reform, does that mean the middle class are going to be paying more? Now, you, now you,
2: you begin with the first thing we put on the table, and no one says, well, now I'm for taxing that other person. That's, go oh, yeah, good. Uh, I don't have commercial... Uh, real estate and I'm not a tenant, so you guys go there on the 13 reform. No, you go there on the income tax reform. No, you know what? Uh, sales tax doesn't bother me because I'm not buying as much goods and equipment. And, and you know, Everybody has a, a different um, point of view. And, and, and so the biggest uh, area of agreement on this is service versus sales. We comparatively tax services in a more modest way than even other red states, not just blue states. You expand the tax base. Potentially, you can lower taxes for the middle class, not increase them. So that's how you enter in a conversation that softens the nerves, unless you're providing those services.
0: Well, what, and what, that's when you a say new services tax. Governor, what do you mean? They're like lost business law to firms? business
2: services? You can art. You can start perhaps with business to business services. You can talk about business business service as an opener for out of state businesses that do business in the state. Uh, you can exempt those services in health care or education if you choose. Meaning you walk down that kind of path. It's a potpourri, and it's all about a negotiation. It's the, the deal. It's, none of this is easy, but it's, it's what other states are doing. They look at services like, oh, I'll give you, for example, um, here's a, a lazy one, and I'm not being literal so people don't call in and go panic and please don't run this as a headline. But Arnold Schwarzenegger, as an example, said, you know what? Why? When he was governor, do people pay sales tax on golf balls, but not a round of golf? And he says, you know what? Let's do a version of a sales tax on a round of golf. Arnold tried that during the session. There were ads, just people blowing him up, you know, saying, I really, Bob, I really liked Arnold. Oh, yeah, I liked him too. <laughs> but gee, can you believe this? I that can't nasty believe this. Golf this guy <laughs> just taxed me on my thing. Now I'm in pain for this and that. And so, you know, this is tough stuff. But that's, that's, where, that's where you start walking down that path.
1: The fairway warfare. (laughs) Yeah.
0: yeah. Um, Let's talk about the gig economy. You have uh, something uh, heading to you, AB5. Yeah. And uh, that would be legislation that would regulate gig workers, the folks who are driving Lyft and Uber, Postmates. Postmates. Um, Where are you in AB5? And and do you think that folks who drive for Lyft and Uber should be classified as employees?
2: I'm worried about their current classification because there's not the commensurate benefits of all that time and. Energy And we're going to see, look, the gig economy, these new platforms, what we call peak contributors, peak time contribution, uh, contingent workers, that's going to be a majority of our workforce in a few decades. And so we're going to have to address this issue beyond Uber and Lyft. And remember, in 10 years, Uber and Lyft's not going to care about this because vast majority of their business model is going to be automated. So Mm -hmm. this is an interim conversation. That said, the whole issue of 1099s, independent contractors versus w 2 as a full-time employee with all the benefits, is a deeply challenging issue. And right now, folks in certain industries are negotiating themselves out of this quote-unquote Dynamax decision in AB5, and the gig economy is desperately trying to do the same. The challenge for them is labor doesn't want to see that happen without something. And what does that something look like? And that's quite literally, not figuratively, being negotiated as we speak. I don't know that there's an answer to that what is it uh, and where we land. If not, it's going to be a a very vexing and challenging uh, time uh, for the industry to try to adjust to that. Uh, But what currently exists is not tenable. And I think the gig economy leaders understand that. They just have to keep bringing more to the table.
0: But where are you at on this? I'm into
2: compromise. I've been trying to seek it for many, many months. A third way. We need compromise. Yeah, you just you can't have a dominant workforce that provides no workers' comp benefits, no unemployment insurance, no, uh, no stability. Why are we living in a society that's never been more abundant where wealth is just dominant and people feel worse than ever? It's because people are working harder than ever, but they're running in place. The things they used to enjoy in terms of that retirement security, that's gone. Healthcare security, deductibles are so high, that's gone. A workers' comp, limited uh, insurance, limited. And so we have to address that anxiety. And I think these the the gig leaders get that. It's just how do we get that done without the traditional model being stuffed on top of a dynamically new economy? And so therein lies the vexing question: how? Do we balance that? And you'd have a
0: position yet at AB5? I have a
2: deep position to continue to advance the conversations. And <laughs> if my position was explicit, I think those conversations would end.
1: <laughs> Governor, you mentioned in, in your meeting with, your, uh, with our editorial board that you have regular conversations with President Trump. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, sure a lot of us would love to listen in on that. Semi-regular, yeah. Uh, w- are there areas where you're finding common ground with the president? Emergency. You know, look,
2: we just had two emergency declarations signed by the president. He's not once played politics on the mercy declarations. And you know what? He deserves credit for that because I will say this. Democratic administrations have. It's notable he has not. Uh, on reimbursement rates, deeply significant. I mean, $12 plus billion just for debris removal costs related to the campfire in Paradise. Just debris removal. $12 plus billion. If you're getting reimbursed at 75% versus 90%, that's a profoundly significant amount of money. He's been helpful on the higher reimbursement rates. Uh, that's a space where we need to stay. And so that's why I pick up the phone. That's why I've made a few calls. And I and I need to. Uh, but no one would suggest that I'm not that I'm being timid anywhere else where it comes to the issues of immigration and these raids. Uh, we're just not going to stand for it. We've got 51, almost 52 lawsuits. Uh, we'll continue to offend the state and its values. Okay. <laughs> you m-
1: mentioned where you found common ground uh Where have you seen evidence of his temper?
2: I haven't seen it privately, interestingly, and people that have these private conversations uh, they're they're sort of legendary there's a he's a he's i mean even brown I remember talking to Governor Brown. you could ask him i i won't talk out of school, but there's an ease to which you uh, can converse with the president um and in his willingness to enter into subjects and different topics. Uh, which is is nice as well. I mean, honestly, our last conversation—full disclosure—and and I don't want to. Nothing particularly newsworthy. It was about the upcoming fire season, and I alerted him on our emergency declaration to prioritize 35 key projects in the state that would uh, focus on 200 vulnerable communities. And we had a deep conversation on that. It lasted, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. Um, and uh, he wasn't aware of that. I thought it was important that he knows or knew that because he's been very expressive that we're not doing enough. And, and we're, right. you know, uh, that doesn't suggest he won't say that at the next rally. I'm I mean, he's called me it. a clown at a <laughs> yeah. rally. And he says, I'm handing out Rolls Royces to all the quote unquote illegal aliens. I mean, you know, so I, I, could, I I, I guess the difference is I don't take any of this stuff seriously and I'll take it personally. I take his attacks on the values of the state very seriously and take it very personally. on behalf, perhaps perhaps uh, on behalf of those that he hurts and when you demean the immigrant communities, when you attack them and you threaten them, uh, I will have their backs. And I've made that crystal clear to the president as well.
0: Governor, whenever we chat, we have to talk about weed. Oh. <laughs> Do you have any right now. You've said since uh, Prop 64 came along and you're, you're a big backer of it that uh, this would be, take five to seven years. Where are we on that process? The uh, Two years. And <laughs> yes. hey, well, Look, I think we're about where I thought we'd be.
2: Um, we're struggling in certain areas and we're excelling in other areas. I think you're starting to see, look, most important thing for me, this was a racial and economic justice issue. So the fact that thousands of people are out of jail, wow, that's where we're excelling. Black and brown certainly don't look like me. I'm really proud of that. People are getting their records expunged. Really proud of that. And you know, San Diego as a county is probably doing more than most other counties. There's a lot of good things happening in the space. A lot more work that has to be done. The fact that we're estimating 359 million dollars of revenue that we otherwise wouldn't have, which allows me next year's budget to do more on childcare and after-school programs and uh, more money on you know, emergency preparedness related to working with our police officers and working with youth, at-risk youth, I think that's a very healthy and positive thing. But the fact that we're not licensing enough people is a, down, is a is part of ledger of negativity. The fact that counties aren't opting in like we were hoping at this stage, though I didn't expect a miracle, but a few more than half is an issue. And the fact that we're not going after the bad actors as aggressively as we have, that has to change as well. And Are
1: you surprised you're... that sales have been lower than anticipated, and, and does that suggest that a lot of illegal activity yeah. is continuing?
2: We, we knew the black market would persist. That, that's really the five- to seven-year framework. Um, you but at this level, you think? Yeah. Or is this higher? Than yeah, no, it's about what I expected. Look, it, the enforcement's been lacking, local enforcement as well as statewide enforcement. Our budget reflects some increases in those efforts. We weren't quick enough on the licensing. So we have all these provisional licenses they were all about to expire the budget reflects we're going to extend a lot of these provisional licenses uh, getting people on the track and trace program has been stubborn so we build that up uh, look we're doing something on scale no other place in the world's ever done i mean this is colorado washington oregon alaska all combined times a factor of five i mean this is a big deal and uh, there is enormous activity in the space, but the collection of taxes does not reflect that yet. It eventually will. And I think it will be even more abundant, the tax collection, than some of the earlier uh, uh, aggressive um, numbers. But that's going to take 7, 10 years.
0: I want to ask you something about vaccines. I know there's a bill that's, that's going to pass, and I think you're, you're going to sign it. Yep. But one thing you said a couple of weeks ago at the convention kind of got everybody like, well, where's news coming coming from? This? Yeah. When you said, I like doctor-patient relationships. Yep. Bureaucratic relationships are more challenging for me. What, what does that mean? I don't means, understand
2: that. Uh, uh, what it means is exactly the burden of my responsibilities that are different than, than most in this respect. A lot of people are in the what and why business. I'm in the how and who business. So I look at a bill very differently than you may look at a bill. I look at it, yes, from a policy perspective, a values perspective, but I'm responsible for its implementation, application, bureaucracy. I sat down with my team and I said, if this bill was signed today, can you do it? They laughed. They said, we can't even get your father's death certificate. It's the same group. I'm waiting still. I mean, that's the same organization that is responsible for potentially thousands and thousands of people having to go through their individual unique life story in order to address their concerns and anxieties around a vaccination and their kids potentially not being edu- be able to get educated as those were pending. That was my bureaucratic conversation. Plus... It was the proxy and surrogates that we would start hiring that were not doctors that would be making potentially those determinations because we simply didn't have the staff to do it. That concerned me. So thus my full statement. Uh, What we offered in the amendments dramatically addressed those issues. We're concerned about health. And so we are looking at hotspots. We are providing exemptions that guarantee a doctor or nurse practitioner uh, to make the adjudication. And I was able to do it this time with my staff. The head of HSS, who used to run the county down in Los Angeles, she used to work, interestingly, in Bayview Honors Point here in San Francisco, to help draft those amendments in a way he says, I can deliver on this promise. And that's what we did.
0: But it's not like you think vaccinations cause autism or anything like that. Oh, my that. God.
2: But how how could anyone suggest that when I was an avid supporter of the vaccination bill and said as much when I said that I was concerned? about the specifics in the bill. This is the burden of governing versus campaigning. Mm-hmm. We live in a society consumed by campaigns. We reward campaign behavior because it generates headlines, controversy, mm-hmm. consumed with by the nightly news. I am in a completely different business that no one particularly likes to cover because it's dull and you know it's complex and it's nuanced. And there's gray, there's a lot of gray, it's not black and white. And mm-hmm. so that's reflected in dozen amendments. And in many respects, we made it stronger because we actually doubled down on the oversight of unscrupulous doctors uh, and we have provisions for accountability that didn't exist in the previous bill. And that's why Dr. Pan to his credit accepted those amendments. And I'm very pleased and move forward in the assembly committee. And I think we addressed the concerns, legitimate concerns of people with unique circumstances that were scared to death about the prospect that they were in the Sophie's choice of my kids' health and life versus my kids' education. And I think we found a sweet spot in that respect.
1: Well, finally, Governor, I have to ask you about moving to Sacramento with the family. Uh, there was a lot of speculation uh, <laughs> after you were elected, would he or would he not? Uh, you made the move. How, how are you and the family doing? We love it. The
2: kids absolutely are thriving. And it's amazing getting them out of the school in the middle of the year, that four young kids, the nine-year-old's oldest and the youngest, they would um they would uh they would do well they're doing great my wife loves it i love it uh though it's a little different politics up there i'm I, we're we're 30 minutes north of sacramento deep mega or you know country or whatever <laughs> mega maga. Maga. but are they changing it to it's not maga now oh, that's it's right. like are keeping we're kind of a new right. yes. new okay, version yeah. Yeah. it is deeply red and so they uh they Do want to interact that, with that, some that, of the
0: locals when you i'm in... rapping with
2: the locals really? but they they're
0: rapping you know they're, they're, hmm. what are they what are you hearing like, it's you uh they
2: have strong opinions about uh the folks in sacramento particularly folks like me really? look at one of the first thing i look at you guys know we we got into that fancy governor's place and no sooner we do that, we had a bunch of people jump the fence, protesting, got arrested, <laughs> moved to the new house. I had a big sign saying, build the wall on my gate. And I'm like, OK, welcome to my new neighborhood. Drones flying over the house. I mean, it's it's an interesting world we're living in. People are animated. They're ginned up. I mean, it's the it's there's I fear only uh coarseness of our conversations, our debate. Um, the way we tweet, the way we talk past each other, down to each other, it manifests even at Starbucks now, and uh, and people sort of feel the right, and they have it to express themselves, but it's a little difficult when you're with the three year old. You're like, okay.
0: So people come up to you in Starbucks. Yeah, say, a lot.
2: Of, we have a lot. of – We are a very animated society, and I think it's <laughs> healthy, and I encourage it. Uh, but it's uh, there's a little more of it up there than there is in San Francisco. Well, you had a little train about San Francisco,
1: <laughs> Gavin, but that was from the left. Yeah, I got <laughs> it. it. It's Gavin. the irony. I, I
2: want to. Can you come up and tell these <laughs> folks that, that? You know, I used to get it from them the other side, too. So maybe I'm in the right place if I'm getting it from both sides.
0: Governor Newsom, thanks for being back on It's All Political. <laughs> it's good to be with you. I'd like to thank you all for listening today. I'd like to thank Governor Newsom for coming to San Francisco to be on the podcast. I'd like to thank John Diaz for uh, helping me with today's podcast. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for producing today's podcast. And remember, no matter what you say to the president in private, it's all political. It's All Political As part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have, is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.